Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. Good morning. Thanks, Tim, wherever you are. Tim put together our bumper for us this time around. It's his first one, I think. So, well, yes, we are in, well, the first, top, first part of a new series called The Rise and the Fall of the King. And we are looking at the person of David from the Old Testament. David, actually, interestingly enough, his name is mentioned more than anyone else in the entire Bible apart from Jesus and God, of course. But so that's, I mean, even more than Moses and Abraham and any other famous person from the Bible you might like to think of, David is up there, right behind Jesus in terms of just his prominence right throughout the Scriptures. And so... um, Today I'm just kicking off and I'll really be focusing on um, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17 and I would strongly encourage you, um, if you've got our Bible app, there's a lot of these scriptures are going to be on there anyway, but even if you don't use the Bible app currently and aren't looking at the reading program, I would encourage you to read 1 Samuel 16 and 17 this week just to get all the the detail with regards to what I'm sharing because I'm just going to sort of skim across the top of a lot of it. But our sermon title today, the first part, is the boy, okay? So we're looking at David in his younger years. And so, as I mentioned, he is a fairly famous individual within the Bible. He lived around about 3,000 years ago and he was, comes, comes from a place called Bethlehem and his father was a man called Jesse. His great-grandparents, um, you may have heard of, but you may have if you've ever read the book of Ruth, okay, so Ruth of that fame and Boaz, her husband, they were his great-grandparents. Um, and David had been chosen by God to be a future king of Israel, okay, and God had sent Samuel, the prophet, to anoint and to, or to make it official in a sense that this is my chosen man for this role, um, David when he was a young boy, okay? So Samuel the prophet went and anointed David. David was a, a quite a skilled musician, okay? And we we'll, we'll read about that in 1 Samuel 16. But also, if you ever read through the Psalms, David wrote about half of the Psalms in the Bible, okay? So, but probably the thing that he is most famous for is his confrontation with Goliath. I mean, even if you haven't ever been to church before in your life, there's a good chance you've heard the phrase David and Goliath. It's, it's one of those phrases, isn't it, that's just thrown around a little bit. Whenever there's, a, whenever there's an unequal um, battle going on of some description, whenever there's an underdog and a, and a, and a really big favourite, you know, it's a David and Goliath battle. And so you've probably heard of that, that phrase. And so we're going to sort of pick up and have a little bit of a look at this particular part of David's history, the battle between David and Goliath. Now, Goliath, he was, um, well, the Philistines, they were a people that were sort of fairly near neighbours of Israel. Okay, Israel was the nation that David was a part of. The Philistines were their enemies at that particular point in time. And Goliath was their champion. Now, the reason he was their champion was because he was so big and he was so strong, okay? He was, in actual fact, just over nine feet tall. So 2.7 metres or just even closer to three metres, really. Um, So if you can think about your house, if your ceilings are fairly low, you've probably got 2.4 metre ceilings, so he's taller than that. If you've got 
nine foot ceilings or 2.7 meter tall ceilings, he's taller than that. If you've got 10 foot ceilings, you've got pretty high ceilings, well, he's around about that height. Okay, now you might think, well, that's hard to believe. People don't grow that big. Well, you know, there was a guy last century who lived. His name was Robert Wadlow. And he grew to be, uh, I think it was 8 foot 11 inches or 2.72 metres. And when he died at the age of 22, he was still growing. Okay, he was also very strong. And so, you know, it's not too much of a stretch. We don't just, we don't just need to see the word giant and go, oh, myth, oh, fairy tale. No, no, this, is, this was a real person who existed in history. He was part of the Philistine army. He was their champion and he was basically terrorising the Israelite army. What happened? They were, they were drawn up on each side of a valley and it was kind of like a bit of a cold war. So like no one was really willing to make the first move. Well, actually, the Philistines were making the first move. What they were doing, they were sending out Goliath each day. And each day he would mock the Israelites and pay them out for being weak and fearful and pay out their God and offer a challenge. And say, send out your best man and let's have a fight. And whoever wins, the other guys will become slaves of the country that wins. And that's what he did day in, day out for 40 days. So for 40 days, every time he would come out, the Israelites would all run back and he'd offer his challenge and then he'd go back to his lines. Next day, twice a day he was thinking he was doing it. He'd offer his challenge, no one. The Israelites were just petrified with fear, doing nothing. Really, and, and you know, I mean, and, and I guess it was just a waiting game. The Philistines were probably just thinking, well, hopefully they'll come to a point where they'll just give us a treaty to become our slaves. Or maybe they'll just get so intimidated that the army will just eventually just sort of disappear. So it wasn't looking good for Israel. It was looking pretty good at that moment for the Philistines. And then this young guy called David, who was a shepherd boy, I don't know if I mentioned that before, but at the time he'd been anointed king, he was actually a shepherd boy. He was the youngest of his father's sons and probably just a teenager. Well, he was just a teenager. And um, he would been, he'd been looking after the sheep, but he'd been tasked by his dad to take some supplies to his brothers. There were three of his biggest brothers, of his bigger brothers, um, on the battle line. Okay, so he had taken some supplies to them and to their commander. And when he gets there... He is horrified. I mean, King Saul had offered vast riches. He'd offered his, one of his daughters in marriage and he had offered tax-free status to the family of whoever would kill Goliath. Crickets. Nothing. No one was taking him up on that awesome deal because it wasn't such an awesome deal in their eyes because there's this nine-foot guy Ready. I mean, how do you even get close enough to have a sword fight with a guy who's nine foot tall? And, and oh, P.S., he had a person specifically to carry his shield in front of him. So he was, a, he, was a, he was kind of like the tank of the day versus the person with a stick or a slingshot. <laughs> so David comes and he sees this arrogant Philistine mocking his God. And he's incensed. He gets a little bit angry on the inside. Like, how can this guy be saying such things? Here we are, the people and the army of God. This guy is mocking our God and we're just standing here letting him do it. What the heck is going on? And he gets a little bit angry and a bit indignant. And so he asks the soldier, what's going on? What's the deal? I've heard a bit of a rumour about there's a bit of a reward for killing this guy and 
And uh, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he should taught the armies of the living God? And David's brother, his eldest brother, Eliab, he um, was a bit ticked at David and he accuses David of being proud and wicked and just being there to watch the battle, which is kind of ironic really because there wasn't much of a battle happening at that particular time and part of it was Eliab's fault because he was one of the Israelite army who was afraid to go out and face Goliath. And so poor David, he's just, he's just copying abuse from his older brother, but he doesn't let it put him off. He continues to ask questions about this, this Goliath and what's his game. And some people will hear this conversation. They think that conversation's a little bit different than all the other conversations we've been hearing going on in our camp lately. This little conversation has a bit of a different spirit to it. This one is not tinged and, and in fact, saturated with fear, but there's a little bit of faith in the air right here. There's a bit of indignation. There's a little bit of I can sort of going on. And so they tell Saul and Saul says, well, bring this guy to me. And David comes to the king and he says, don't worry about this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. <laughs> now, excuse Saul for not being jumping over the moon about that particular fact. This young shepherd boy, not even a man yet, certainly with no warfare experience, rocks up and says, I'll take him down, when all of his best men, in fact, Saul was probably the best man. Like Saul, when he became king, he was a head and shoulders above the rest. That, that little expression you possibly have heard that you didn't read in the Bible actually comes from the Bible, and it was talking about Saul. Okay, so if all the Israelites were here, Saul was up here. The trouble is, Saul was down there compared to Goliath. And I don't know exactly how old he was at that particular point in time, but he certainly wasn't putting himself forward to take on Goliath in that moment. And suddenly there's this shepherd boy standing before him saying, I'll take him. And Saul tries to dissuade him. Say, look, you're young, you're inexperienced, you're just a boy. And David says, no, no, I can do it. And he goes to recount his situation where as a shepherd boy, he hadn't been without his challenge. He hadn't been to war, but he had actually overcome a lion and a bear that had tried to attack his sheep. And he said God had given him the ability to be able to do that. And so he wasn't afraid of this Goliath. Goliath will become just like one of them. God will rescue me from this Philistine. And so Saul sees that he isn't going to dissuade David. Possibly he's thinking, well, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, you reckon he's got God on his side? That's a plus. And so what he does, he gets his armour and his sword and he dresses David in his armour. Now, again, you can imagine, David's a young man. Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. Okay, I'm ready to go and fight Goliath. That was never going to work. I mean, it would have been kind of cool being in the king's armour, wouldn't it, for about five minutes. Like, I mean, you could look at your brothers and go, king's armour, <laughs> king's sword, look at me. And then five minutes later, mincemeat in the king's armour. That's what would have happened. But I love what David did. He didn't, he didn't bow to the pressure, even of, of Saul's well-meaning armour episode, but he actually says, no, look, I can't go in this. This isn't a fit for me. I need to be myself and trust God in this battle. I need to trust that what God has put me through, the preparation that God has brought me through, is enough coupled with God himself to take on this giant. And so... David puts aside the sword, he puts aside the armour, 
He goes down to the riverbed and he chooses five smooth stones. He picks up his shepherd's staff and he picks up his sling and he begins to walk to the front line where Goliath is waiting. And Goliath is just incensed. He is angry. Like, what the heck? Who is this? This, this measly little, looks like a shepherd boy. What the? Oh, and he's got a stick. What am I, a dog? And so he <laughs> said, so come here, you. I'll give you your flesh to the birds and the animals. And David said, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, as well as a few other bits and pieces. He makes a promise to Goliath that that day he's going to kill him, cut off his head, and then destroy his army as well. Well, God will. And so the battle ensues, if you can call it a battle. Goliath takes a few steps towards David. David runs towards Goliath. Let's go of the stone. The stone hits Goliath in the forehead and he goes down like a pack of cards on his face. David wanders over, picks up his sword, finishes him off, cuts off his head. That is not the way to live the Christian life. <laughs> just, just putting it out there. You are, we are not calling anybody to do that. Just because it's online and everything. <laughs> Hi, guys, online. <laughs> Great to have you with us today. <laughs> and the Philistine armies, who have seen their champion put down by a young boy, just turn and run. And the Israelites' army that have seen their champion put down by a young boy, they are super encouraged now. Like they are on fire for God and they are going to take these guys. So they pursue them all the way back to Philistine essentially and just plunder their camp and all of that sort of thing. It's an awesome day for Israel. One that didn't look at, turn out looking, starting out looking so good, it ended up pretty well at the end of the day for them. So I've already said we're not about cutting people's heads off or killing people, but how does this story relate to us today? Well, I think often the tendency when it comes to talking about David is to focus on him as a young man of God and to encourage us to be like David, to have the faith of David. And if we do that, we can overcome all the giants that we will face in life. Now, look, there are some admirable things in David's life. There are certainly some great things to be aspired to. But the fact is we're not David and we haven't had his preparation that God had given him when he faced his Goliath, perhaps. And so what are some things about David that I could certainly, I, we could preach on this, but I'm not going to, I'm just going to mention some things, all right? Take them on board if they are relevant to you. I think they probably are relevant to all of us at one level. But, you know, David was a man who was passionate for God. And I absolutely believe that we should be passionate for God. Yeah? He should be our priority. You know, it, it, he should bring joy to our life. And we should get a little bit indignant when we see people, you know, not loving God or maybe abusing God. So David was passionate for God. David was a man of faith. You know, Goliath was standing there all nine feet of him. 
And God, sorry, David saw his God towering over Goliath, just as Goliath was towering over Saul, but much bigger. He was a man of faith. So I would encourage you to be people of faith. Know your God. Read your Bible. Pray. Get to know him. And maybe that's going to affect the way that you view your problems. I think it will. And I would encourage you in that. I really would. I love the way that David didn't take on the abuse of those around about him. He didn't take on the abuse of his brother who was putting him down. He didn't take on the belittling of Saul and the doubts. And he didn't even wear Saul's armour. He just kind of was, was quite content in his relationship with God, his confidence in himself and the preparation that God had, had um, given him in life and he was willing to trust God. So all the other stuff was like water off a duck's back. He let it slide. What a great place to be, to be so confident and self-assured and God-focused that all the nonsense that people throw on us, even the, all the, even the well-meaning stuff that people put onto us that can hinder us, David didn't want to borrow it. Just, no, me and God, we've got this. I reckon that would be great to be like that. His willingness to act. The fact that David was a can-do person, he, would actually, he actually got up and did something when everyone else was just too busy thinking about it or not thinking about it or intimidated to do anything. David got up and did something. And they are all great things for us to do. The only problem is if we make those things the focus of the story and assume that the main point is to get us to be like the young, confident, energetic, faith-filled, up-for-a-fight David, is that often we're not like that, are we? <laughs> so what do we do if we're not like that? What if we're a bit older? We don't have so much energy. What about if we've already had a few fights and come off second best and we're really not up for another one? What about when the giant that we're facing, whatever it might be, is just all we can see? Even though I go to church every week, even though I read my Bible, even though I pray, somehow this giant keeps forcing himself front and centre. What about when all I can do is just despair at my powerlessness in the face of my giant? Mm -hmm. Who's heard a sermon on David that's be like David? Who's been intimidated by a sermon on David that's be like David? Who's been kind of assumed and, and maybe it's been implied that in this story you are supposed to be David? Because you're not. <laughs> Who are you in the story? You are the Israelite army. You are the guys that need David. <laughs> I am super encouraged that I can go into the Old Testament and read a story like that and realise that despite Israel's lack of faith, despite their abundance of fear, despite their ungodliness on many fronts, God sent a saviour in David. A man who would come and deliver his people from what they were incapable 
of doing themselves. Left to their own devices, it might have gone to 80 days. It might have gone to 100 days. It, it, it may have just boiled over into a map battle. And Israel, based on their attitude, they would have gone under big time. They were incapable of helping themselves. They had 40 days to help themselves. They had lots of incentive, the gold, the girl, the tax-free status. None of it could motivate them to do anything. They were finished in and of themselves until David came. And then suddenly, in seeing David, they found strength and they were able to pursue the Philistine army. Now, I don't know about you, but does that sound a little bit familiar? That theme. <laughs> now, again, maybe if you haven't read the Bible before, you don't regularly come to church, it maybe doesn't sound familiar other than the fact you've heard of David and Goliath. But for those of us that have been to church for a little while, and for those of us that had read the Bible regularly, maybe we will be picking up on a theme. And it's a theme that happens right throughout the Bible. It's this idea that God helps people who cannot help themselves. It's that God will break in and help those who don't deserve it. Help those who are doing the wrong thing. And he often even used people who are not doing the right thing fully to do so. And all of those things are just foreshadowing God's greater plan. They're just giving a hint, an insight into God's greatest plan. You see, David was a saviour. David was a deliverer. David was a shepherd to his people. David ultimately became a king. And we'll be looking at that in the next little while. David was a man after God's own heart, which Josh is going to speak on next week. But ultimately, even he was just pointing to one who was so much greater. You see, God had in, planned, uh, had in mind a saviour for the whole world. The real chosen one. I mean, David was chosen to be king. Jesus was chosen to save the world. He was the Messiah, which simply means chosen one. He's actually known as the son of David because, again, in the Bible later on, it talks prophetically about a son of David who would come and be king forever. And so in the time before Jesus and even in, when Jesus was born, people were anticipating the arrival of this Messiah, this chosen one, this anointed one, this king, this great king that would set God's people free. Jesus was the good shepherd and ultimately the one true man after God's own heart. Jesus came and defeated absolutely all of the giants that stood against all of humanity, sin, condemnation and death. The penalty of sin was death. Every one of us are incapable of overcoming those giants. Every one of us is a sinner. You know, even, even if it's the first time you've heard that term before, even if you're a relatively good person, the reality is you are not a good enough person if the standard is perfection. And that's why I said before, it's, it's good to aspire to be faithful. It's good to aspire to be passionate. But the reality is there are going to be times when despite your best attempts to be faithful, despite your best attempts to be passionate, despite your best attempts attempts to keep God front and centre, you are going to mess up. You are not strong-willed enough. You do not love your family enough or anyone else enough. You are not 
you do not have enough spiritual disciplines in place to actually avoid doing the things you don't want to do and getting caught up in sin and therefore coming under judgment and ultimately the penalty is death or eternal separation from God. That's our biggest problem, all of us. And Jesus came, when he died on the cross, he came to bear the penalty that you and I were deserving of. You know, God, in the very beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve sinned, he condemned all of mankind. He put us all under, you know, he tarred us all with the same brush as it were. And it seemed so unfair until we realised that the reason he did it was that he might make us all righteous through the one act of Jesus if we would put our faith in him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And I love the way David was able to do that. You know, Goliath, everyone else, all they could see was Goliath. And David came and he saw his God standing over and above Goliath. And if we will keep our eyes on Jesus, you know, his ultimate victory is assured. Our ultimate victory victory is assured. The Israelites won because David won. They became part of his victory, even though they were part of the problem beforehand. It's amazing. We serve an awesome God. We have an awesome God. Our shortcomings, our failures, our sins, deliberate or unintentional, are all sorted because of Jesus. Be encouraged that there's nothing in your life that can surprise him or scare him off. God had seen all that Israel was up to and still he sent David. And God has seen all that humanity has been up to and still he sent Jesus. People were sacrificing their kids. People were indulging in all sorts of immoral activity. People, some people were just ignoring him. People were killing each other. People were going to war. People were mistreating each other, abusing each other. And Jesus came still, despite the mess that we've gotten ourselves into. Jesus will be with us always through the valley of the shadow of death. And he'll prepare a table for us in the midst of our enemies. You may recognise from Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. And so having defeated the main giants in our lives that stand against us, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be other things, other battles ahead. But it does mean that God will be with us. You know, David had other fights ahead. In fact, his, you know, from that moment on, you'd think it'd be all uphill and awesome. No. His life went, took a massive turn for the worse shortly after this particular event in his life. And sometimes, you know, we become a Christian and it's the most amazing thing to know that our sins have been forgiven, to know that we're given a new start, that God's Holy Spirit will dwell within us and lead us and guide us and direct us and help us get an insight of the very heart of God Himself. And yet even with all that going on, like with David who had that same experience and later fell horribly in terms of sin, we can still mess up. We can still have challenges that just seem too big. What's your giants that you're facing right now? If you know Jesus, your problems aren't all over. (laughs) 
You might be right now, even though you're a Christian, you might be battling with some habit or some addiction that you cannot kick. Every day it comes out and it taunts you. Say, ah, call yourself a Christian. Well, let's go and do this together. (laughs) Maybe your marriage is the giant that you're facing that seems as much as you want it to work, as much as you're trying to be a good Christian husband or wife, feels like you're married to Goliath and they don't want a piece of it. They want to make your life hell. They don't want to leave, but they want to make your life hell. Maybe you're struggling with depression. Maybe it's just the state of your children and what they're up to, breaking your heart. Maybe it's financial hardship. Whatever the giant is that you're facing, David had a revelation of his God that he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. He will be with me and he'll prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, wherever our enemies are, God is there with us. He wants to have communion with us. And we have a choice in that moment. We can focus on the face of Jesus and all that he has done on our behalf and all that he has promised for our future. Or we can be intimidated and keep our focus on the enemy, on the giants, on the things that are intimidating us and making us feel useless, worthless, faithless, fear-filled, sinful, unworthy. All of those things that, that you and I deal with, some probably more regularly than others, but all at some point get to that point where we're like the Israel army, we're just sort of waiting for the next punch that might take us out. But God is with us. The devil can intimidate, people can intimidate, situations and circumstances can intimidate. We can't stop the intimidation, but we can choose where we're going to focus. And I just want to encourage us today to focus on Jesus. He's the Saviour. He will be going with you and He is for you in every situation and circumstance that you're facing. He's ultimately going to carry you on to victory. There's a journey and it's going to be a bit uphill and down dale along the way. But He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. That's good news, don't you think? Awesome. So the story of David and Goliath, it's inspiring and it's challenging. If you've only seen it as challenging before and come away thinking, oh, I wish I was more like David. Don't put yourself down. God made you the way you are. He loves you as you are. And, you know, the Bible talks about the fact that He has created us with plans and purposes in mind. He has plans and purposes, and you are a perfect fit for His plans and purposes for your life. So don't worry about not being like David. I mean, not many people are like David. David was awesome. I mean, he's one of those guys. He makes you sick. I mean, he was a great warrior. He was a great singer. He was a great orator. The girls loved him. The guys loved him. Everyone loved him. Most people are not like David, so don't beat yourself up trying to be like David. Just be you. Allow God to reveal who He's made you to be and how He sees you. So don't worry about you're not like David. Don't worry if you don't have the faith of David. David had the faith of David because he was David and he had the experiences David had with God. And so he grew in his revelation of God and his understanding and his experience of God. And so too, 
if you begin a relationship with God, and reality is even before our, we begin a relationship with God that we're aware of, God is working in our lives. He is for us and he's directing us. But when we come into a relationship with him, the process of relationship begins, the process of experience through, through doing the right thing and the wrong thing, through hearing God or thinking we've heard God and acting accordingly, and then realising it wasn't God. Along the way, we learn. We experience God. We get to know God and our confidence and our faith in Him builds. But if it's just about be like David or be, have more faith like David, the trouble is ultimately that's going to end up in failure, disappointment and exhaustion. So let's not make that the main part of the story. Let's make the main part of the story that God provides a saviour for undeserving people. We can all be glad because the trust can move from us having to be better, try harder, do more, be more holy, be more loving, be more kind and all that sort of stuff. I trust that as we know Jesus, we will become those things. But if the focus is on me to be and do those things, that's where the problems start. Let's move our trust to Jesus. Let's have a revelation of who He is, what He's done, how beautiful He is, how kind, how great. And it's amazing how when you get on a God like that, that your life also becomes, to more, becomes more loving, more gracious and, and surprise, surprise, more faithful, more faith-filled and so on and so forth. Can we pray? And then we'll just continue to worship for a little while. Father, I just want to thank you so much that right through the Old Testament, even in the midst of some of the horror and the gore, we see a gracious God who's working a way of salvation. And we thank you, God, that your passion reaches to the ends of the earth and includes all people, Lord, regardless of where they've come from, regardless of what they're up to. You love people. And Lord God, we know that in and of ourselves, we are helpless and hopeless. But we thank you that, Jesus, you have come to help us and to give us hope. And I pray, Lord, for those of us that know you, that we just have a growing understanding of the height, the depth and the breadth of your love and your kindness and your grace and every good thing you've done for us, Lord. And may it inspire us, embolden us, encourage us, fill us with passion and zeal and faith to serve you that others might come to know your goodness. Lord, for those of us who maybe don't know you right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, that even if there's doubt, even if there's confusion, that nonetheless you would inspire faith and hope in hearts today and encourage people, Lord God, to take the next step, maybe ask some questions, maybe come back another week, maybe come and talk to someone who not already knows you. So God, have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.